Welcome to Screen Quest, the podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by May Finch. Hello, hello. And of course, we have Will Rotondi. Hey, hey, what's going on? I just noticed that it looks like Kevin Klein is checking out your butt. Like in that, he's like leaning against the house and he's like, damn, Will, what you going to do with all that cake? <laughs> and there's one of many reasons why you're missing out if you don't watch the show on YouTube on occasion. <laughs> Those backgrounds often lead to humorous anecdotes and observations. I mean, Kevin Klein isn't just looking at your butt. This is actually the jealous girlfriend meme. Hey, it is. Oh my God. She's like, nice. fuck's sake, I'm right here. <laughs> He's like, not when Will's butts around, you're not like, oh man. Don't you go, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> On today's episode, we are talking about Life as a House, which is our first past the tissues film where we discuss a tearjerker. And of course, we'll be drawing a side quest in just a few moments. Uh, but first, um, Mr. Rotani's idea here, and I think a damn good one for our opening this week, we are going to take a moment to observe the 40th anniversary of the one of the biggest television movie events of all time, The Day After, which released 40 years ago on November 20th, 1983. And uh, a film I don't think any of us actually have seen, but um, I've heard lots about, specifically uh, from my mom for like personal anecdotes. Uh, very, very affected by this. It was a film that showcased the horrors of nuclear holocaust and subsequent fallout. And uh, just really fucked a lot of people up. So um, if you're out there and listening and you've seen this film, like you could definitely please like hit us up on social media because I'd be curious, especially if you were part of the original broadcast, like what it was like catching this on TV. Uh, the film stars Jason Robards, Joe Beth Williams, Steve Gutenberg, and John Lithgow, among many others. And uh, it looks like it aired... I'm trying to look at the runtime, like how long this was on for a TV movie. 126 minutes. So, you know, imagine that's like um, without commercials. So maybe it would have been like a two and a half hour, three hour, like affair. Um, somebody can check that. That, that would be awesome. But uh, yeah, this film was directed by uh, Nicholas Meyer, who made... Um, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, arguably the best Star Trek film ever made. <laughs> and it just seems grim as hell. Um, I, of course, like kind of was re-reminded of it recently. I was watching the, the TV show The Americans, and there's an episode where the family sits down to watch it, and the two spies played by Matthew Reese and um Carrie, not Carrie Russell. Is it Carrie Russell? Now I'm like getting my characters confused. I think it's Carrie Russell. Uh, are horrified at the possibilities of nuclear war. Obviously, coming from the Soviet Union, you get the impression that things have been very much like obscured and sugar-coated for them. And it's one of the first times I feel like in the the series that you really see them kind of consider like the mission that they're on, which is uh, I think it's used to great effect. Anyway, um, I think we should do like a special sometime and like watch this. This movie sounds wild. Mm-hmm. Um worth noting of course like this would have been still like very much in the cold war um era where 
people that were watching this probably grew up doing nuclear drills in school. Like I know my mom did. That's one of the things she mentioned is like, I remember us hiding under tables. What a stupid thing that was like, oh, there's a nuke incoming. Hide under your desk. Like <laughs> that'll save you. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, probably very much like a real fear still in the hearts and minds of people when this came out. Um, not to say that it's not now, but I think like, I don't know. It seemed like there was a lot of brinkmanship going on that uh, was maybe a little bit more uh, reckless, shall we say. Yeah, I will pause to let my co-host offer any <laughs> thoughts that they have on this <laughs> wild ass sounding movie. I'm trying to predict if I did watch it, if it would be like more jarring and scary or less because it's like we're out of the Cold War now, but I wonder if like the ever presence of that nuclear threat kind of desensitized people to it a bit, or if it made this kind of thing even scarier. Who's to yeah, say? Uh, Not me. I'm too. I'm too young. But <laughs> too young. Yeah, I'm too young. I mean, shit. This aired in 1983, which was three years before I was uh, was born. And uh, yeah, I, it's hard for me to predict. Like, I could see it honestly going both ways. Like, this is already like in your mind constantly, and. Now this is like making your worst fears come true on screen. Um, I don't know. But uh, I'm looking at the rating like uh, in terms of like how many people watch this. So more than 100 million people and nearly 39 million households watch the film during its initial broadcast with a 46 rating and a 62% share of viewing audience, which I believe means 62% of the people that were watching television, like at the time this was airing, were watching that film, which is like, that's really that's impressive. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. I can't picture him in something like this. Can you? <laughs> can you? Like, I can't. Uh, yeah, that's a very very different uh genre for him to show up in considering like what police academy and uh <laughs> short circuit and shit like that he's just like the goofy like lovable like all shucks yeah. guy you know i was reading when i was uh taking a look at the article in usa today originally that i saw about this film i mean it did mention that it did traumatize people uh that watched it and that i mean that there was like a phone line that was set up for people for counseling during the broadcast or after it i think um so i do think that even they sort of like anticipated that it was going to be like a very powerful uh viewing experience for a lot of people i'm i'm amazed that that many people tuned in to watch the same thing although i guess you know it's like you think about where we're at now and how easy it is to consume any sort of content on like so many various apps but back then you only had you know x number of channels to watch and but even then man i mean it's it's just wild and also like the oh no i think i had it but then i lost it okay so you were talking about commercial breaks too like the fact that after the actual explosion happens like the nuclear detonation sequence starts up it mentioned that abc didn't air any commercials for like the rest of the film oh wow! so that also i think is pretty interesting um just like once you're in it we're just we're riding this through to the end man which as a side note anybody talking about ads these days if you could do that for the movies that i watch too i'd really appreciate it <laughs> Same. Yeah, I wonder if like it was just they were afraid people were going to stop watching because that would be kind of a disaster for them, right? Like we'd rather not advertise if it means that people might think better about tuning back in. 
the cynical uh slash marketing part of my brain does kind of wonder if the things like the hotline and all the PSAs around it were a marketing ploy more than anything else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ab- absolutely. Like <laughs> it's like having barf bags, you know, for like films yeah. and they used to do that. Like um how many people yeah. would have been staffed in that call center? What sort of like rote dialogue would they have to like what would their like protocol be for dealing with phone calls about that then? Like that seems like that would be a lot of effort if that was just for marketing's sake. This is sort of like the pledge drives that people do these days. <laughs> I'd love it if it wasn't even like mental health professionals. It's just like some like blue collar dude from Brooklyn just picking up some extra scratch in the evening. Yeah. No, 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 no. You got nothing. What are you about? You, you get vaporized instantly. You, you, you yeah, wouldn't no. thing. It's all good. No, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. This movie's actually <laughs> fake. Uh clearly if, if it happened, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't know you'd be dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good talk. Thanks. <laughs> well, happy birthday, I guess. Uh <laughs> the day after. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh let's draw a side quest. And as Will said uh before we started recording, hopefully this is gonna be a happy one because uh we're off to a pretty sour note. And uh, it's not going to get too much happier with our main <laughs> film topic. Talk about a film that scarred you deeply. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> also, while while you're drawing that, Chris, I have to mention, like, honorable mention for this film as well, that the following year, again, according to the USA Today article that I noticed, that the following year, this film was nominated for 12 Emmy Awards, won two of them. But it lost outstanding drama comedy special to a Ted Dance and Glenn Close incest film. What? <laughs> so that just wild. goes to show you that incest, when it comes to drama, man, incest will beat out nuclear holocaust. Now, even before Game of Thrones, super hot. <laughs> Everyone loved a good incest story, apparently. Uh, Hotter than a nuclear bomb, apparently. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Klein checking my ass out now doesn't seem so bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's plenty of sketchy stuff we'll get to there. <laughs> there's yeah, there is some awkward uh, sexual stuff in this film. Yes, I agree. <laughs> All right. In any event, um, our side quest is going to be written in the stars, which is where we pick a film from the year you were born that you really like and mm. uh, feel connection with. I know I've gone. I think Will's gone. May have you gone on this one? I don't think I have. And I gotta pull up just to double check, but I think I actually have one. All right. Uh I can go for this. I actually have a few. Uh when I was born was the year Contact came out, Goodwill Hunting came Ooh. out, and the Fifth Element came out. So <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yep. I have I think also like one of the Jurassic Parks and some other stuff, but um yeah, it was a good year for film. I do have to go with Contact, though, just because it was uh, the first film we talked about on this podcast, if I remember correctly, which was very You remember exciting. right, yeah. Um, and yeah, it just, it's a film that's always been very dear to my heart. I grew up in a very nerdy, sciencey, geeky household, and I watched this film when I was pretty young, not as young as like the young Jodie Foster character you see in the film, um, mm-hmm. but like seeing her and like her love of science and astronomy I was like oh I can relate to this and kind of like aspired to be like her when I grew up 
which shouldn't happen, but still inspirational nonetheless. <laughs> Profession doesn't necessarily dictate. You could say you're like somebody, even if you don't do the same job. Uh, this is true. I would say, say you share some qualities, you know, like. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked her character. I liked all the discussions of like philosophy and faith and science and like what's really out there and I also just like a film because I think a lot of the like kind of like alien stuff I had seen up until that point was either the like conspiracy type stuff like you know X-Files and Stargate or the like who knows it's a big mystery kind of thing and I like that this movie was just like oh yeah obviously there's aliens out there they probably haven't talked to us but it'd be super dope if they did (laughs) um and i was like oh that's so rational yeah that's (laughs) how i still think about aliens today is like yeah obviously there's other life somewhere in the universe it's a waste of space otherwise but um yeah i it's it's a film very close to my heart in terms of like its characters and its themes and messaging and uh it's just a very you know happy coincidence that came out when i was born Heck yeah, that's I didn't draw that connection until you brought it up just now. So it does seem to be indeed written in the stars for you to love a film oh. so much when you were born. That was the very first <laughs> film on this podcast. I mean, come on. Uh, I didn't hear Matthew McConaughey mentioned anywhere. Like, we're not going to throw him a bone for. Like... <laughs> <laughs> he was fine. I don't know. I think I watched this. I was a bit of a late bloomer when it turns to when it comes to like sexuality. And I don't think I thought he was hot at all when I first saw this. Rewatching it in my 20s, I was like, oh, yeah. OK, young Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> okay there we go that's all i wanted to hear that's all the audience wanted okay to just wanted some confirmation <laughs> uh, coldest take ever matthew mcconaughey is a good looking fella okay well it also could have just been my my, my bisexuality showing uh because i was definitely enamored with jodie foster so well, you know you don't need to pick and choose right like <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's no true one said you had to just pick one it's fine <laughs> i mean i kind of know how you guys feel about the film since we did a whole podcast episode on it but um yeah any any other thoughts you guys want to add uh it's a great choice um i was glad to revisit it because i hadn't seen it probably since like it was airing on tv regularly like it would have been that recent until we watched it for the podcast and uh, it kind of rekindled my love for how brilliant of a man Carl Sagan was. So um, it's cool that they were able to adapt it, I think, rather successfully as we discussed on the podcast. For sure. And also follow the instruction manual that you receive. Don't try and add to it. That's what I learned from that movie. You don't need a chair. It's not, it was not in the instruction manual. You do not need a chair. (laughs) That's all I'm going to add. Yeah. Don't listen to OSHA, listen to aliens. Yep, that's right. But maybe Always. that, like, maybe the walkway leading up to the device, <laughs> you could like make it less of like the Tower of Terror. But then once you're on it, yeah, then it's yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but Thank important you. life lessons: <laughs> ignore the instructions. Always got a few extra bolts. Like, probably not important. It's fine. Nah. All right. Well, Mr. Rotondi. You are guiding us through our first past the tissues film, Life as a House. 
which I I swear also I have to go back came up on the first podcast like that we recorded mm. um certainly within the first couple so uh, I'm glad you know to have finally um watched this movie one of Marianne's favorites and one that my mom always talks about so without further ado take us through uh our discussion well life as a house uh came out back in 2001 it was directed by Erwin Winkler, and it stars Kevin Klein, Kristen Scott Thomas, Hayden Christensen, Jenna Malone, who also, uh, conveniently enough, contact, uh, Mary Steenburgen, and for like maybe five minutes of the film, Scott Bakula. Um, yeah. So any Quantum Leap fans or Enterprise fans in the house, you know, but or NCIS, I guess, these days for him. Uh, but the film itself is about a man named George, who's played by Kevin Klein, who lives in this rundown house that's out on this great piece of property that overlooks the sea. And basically, George gets like the worst day possible where he gets fired from his job at this architectural firm and he faints and ends up in the hospital and learns that he has terminal cancer. Um, so with what he expects to be only a few months left, uh, to live, he takes the time to want to reconnect with his estranged son. He's played by Hayden Christensen. Um, and then part of that involves having his son, whose name is Sam, I guess I should probably mention that, <laughs> comes to stay with him for the summer and, and basically camp out with George in George's garage while he demolishes the old house that he's been living in, um, and wants to rebuild it up to this dream house that he has in his mind that he feels like would be something he'd be proud to pass on to Sam. Um, and basically as work on this house continues, we get to learn more about George's relationship with his own abusive father. We learn that he doesn't want that same sort of relationship with his son. And that we also get to see George reconnect with his estranged wife, Robin, who's played by uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. We kind of see the rocky marriage as well that Robin has with her new husband, and we see Sam become more comfortable with his own family. And even oddly, in a very sort of weird relationship, a girlfriend relationship with um, Alyssa, sorry, who's played by Jenna Malone. Then at the very end of the film, um, when we see that George has become bedridden, he's not entirely coherent, um, Sam comes to visit him at the hospital and shows him from very convenient for, I mean, you know, if we want to <laughs> talk about sort of uh, suspending disbelief, but sweet for the sake of the film, that George has an image directly to his house from his hospital room that you can see out the window. So, um, and then we also see Robin come to stay with George in pretty much his last evening and spend time with him before he finally passes. Um, and then at the very end, we do get to see the completion of the house and get a little bit of narration from George after the fact. Um, and those are pretty much the main points, I think, before we kind of dive into some of the details, unless there's anything else that you feel like I missed that you want to bring up before we jump into questions. I think you, as far as like the broad strokes, that co definitely covers it. Yeah. Not any of the weird sex yet, but we'll come to that <laughs> for the more lighthearted aspect of this tearjerker of a film. Uh, but again, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. Uh, so as always, first impressions. Um, I actually may I'm going to turn over to you for this. And then, uh, Chris, I'd also like to hear as well when you talk about it. You mentioned that you've had some family members who have, have liked this film, too. So I'm curious 
kind of like what their thoughts were or sort of if it influenced when and if you thought you might finally watch the film. But anyway, so May, back to you. So I don't know what to make of this film. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first impression for a few reasons. One, the uh, trailer does not do its service whatsoever. Because uh-huh. I was trying to decide if I was going to watch this with Alex or not. So we watched the trailer together and the trailer makes it seem like just like the cheesiest, like way past its prime kind of film. Like mm. it, 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 it was not a good trailer whatsoever. So I ended up watching this by myself later. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> um, as soon as I got into it, I was like, oh, this is much more like layered and um, kind of like purposely messy in a way that I like a lot and respect. Um, and I appreciate its willingness to dive into like the weird and taboo and stuff like that. Um, I still don't know what to make of it because there's certain times where it seems very self-aware and other times when it really doesn't. And it's just a little bit jarring in that way. Like I like, uh, had to throw my popcorn moment when, you know, the nurse comes in when he's got his diagnosis and like all that dialogue was just very trite to me. And the fact that she like makes a move on him, I'm like, what, what is happening? Is this like a, is is he dreaming is this like a porno like i don't <laughs> yeah i was like are we about to get some like uh like here's your your last little conjugal visit in the hospital thing like it's time for your sponge bath like yeah oh, i don't know so like those moments took me out of it where it's like this doesn't feel self-aware this feels just oh not good um and then there's other times where it's like um dealing with very serious stuff like teen drug use slash arguably addiction and um you know when george opens up about like his abuse and stuff like that and i think it at times handles those well at other times doesn't um so yeah overall not sure what to think i had a lot of mixed feelings um i did like overall kind of i guess like storytelling device of the house and of the story concluding when the house is finished i thought that was cool and i thought that kind of tied everything together but yeah it's it's very purposefully messy and i'm not sure how i feel about that but i appreciate (laughs) what it's trying to do solid yeah that's okay there is definitely much that you can like poke fun at and I even rewatching it too. Uh, some things that I forgot about that I enjoyed poking fun at. Um, the thing with the nurse, actually. So when she comes in and sits down, I, I, I sort of bought into it at first. I agree the dialogue at certain parts. I was like, I don't know if anybody would hear that phrase now and feel comfortable doing that. Like just some of the stuff that he said about, oh, I've never, it's been however long since I've been touched. And I'm thinking, Touched how? Like, I know you're kind of out of it, but like, if you just said that to a, uh, a you know, like a nurse or like a, like a primary care physician, how are they going to really respond to you in that? Um, but I could understand if it's like she's trying to comfort him and then he takes it a little bit too far. And clearly she knows when it's like, okay, this got awkward. That's a bad touch. We need to, we need to stop now. <laughs> but um but yeah, so stuff like that. We're rewatching it now. I'm like, yeah, I can, I could go with it. 
But before I jump too much in and talk your ear off about what I think, Chris, I would like to get your feedback. Uh, yeah, I really liked it overall. Um, like all, all the stuff with like the cycles of father son relationships and wanting to like break the mold and tear stuff down and build it anew. Really beautiful stuff. Um, I loved sort of the tie in at the end with like the ultimate fate of the house and sort of being like used to make amends. Um, all that stuff really worked for me. Um, I even enjoyed sort of like, I thought it was a really like touching discussion, both like in terms of like the dialogue in the film and then more subtly, like with the interactions between, um, yeah, between like George and Robin, um, like I found that to be like really, really like great um and like authentic as far as like sometimes like love doesn't have to burn out it can fade away or maybe it's nothing to do with love and just you know um you can still love somebody and things like are just meant to end like i, I thought that was like is better than like I, I was really primed for a very ugly um post-marital relationship with them because he calls her hostile early in the film and i'm like i don't get that at all from her um but I will say, all that being said, I could not give a fuck about anything to do with Mary Steve Virgin or Jenna Malone. And I thought all the storylines surrounding that were absolutely absurd. It just felt like like they started making an American pie like ripoff and then like <laughs> pivoted to like a really touching melodrama. Like I just couldn't give a fuck about it. I was just like, what does this serve for the like the story? Like it was very awkward and it really took me out of it anytime they, they like pivoted to that. Like even watching Sam and Alyssa, like the shower scenes and shit, I'm like what's, what's happening here? Like, <laughs> like what's happening here? Like friends don't shower to like, there's no high school aged girl that gets into a shower with a boy and it says like, we're just friends. Like what? Um, so anyway, I found all that shit absurd and I didn't care for it at all. Um, <laughs> Like, I don't know. It just, it didn't work for me. Um, but it didn't stop me from crying my eyes out at the end. And I found it to be very touching and poignant, um, despite having some really weird, like, offshoots. Um, I was bought in enough at the point, like, where, like, the, the final solution to the housing permit, like, rears its head with, like, because I'm like, something's going to happen. This is Chekhov's, like, yeah, uh, you know, gay prostitution right here. If I've ever seen it, like some, <laughs> something's happening with this like car. They're obscuring the driver. It's like blacked out windows, and like this is gonna have a point. And then uh, when it pays off, like it's like, all right, I'm invested enough that like I'll accept. It's very convenient that this is his dad's neighbor of all fucking people. But <laughs> if you can see your house from the hospital window, it's probably a pretty small town. I don't know. Um, it's true. So yes, overall, I really liked it. I don't understand some of the like characters and mini storylines, but it didn't stop me from enjoying the movie. Awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll just quickly second that the George and Robin dynamic does seem to have like the most like art and authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. In fact, I would say that's probably why this uh, film still gets to me. Because truthfully, for like the 70% of this movie, like I still tear up in it. And it's, I don't know if that's mostly just because I remember what it felt like the first time I saw it. Or if it's that it still really does get to me. But I think it's the relationship. Like, I think it's the way that Kevin Klein and Kristen Scott Thomas portray these characters. Like, we kind of joked about some of the lines that they've got. And I feel like you can have some hokey lines of dialogue, but if you can 
convey it the way that sometimes Kevin Klein does. I'm just like, you know what? I buy it <laughs> because I feel like I watch his character and I I believe that he is that character. And so I don't know. I think that that's just sort of my my feeling of it is like I'm really impressed by the acting. And I think that's what, if anything, that's what got for uh, affected me watching it before and still does now. Um, but yeah, like pretty much any time George opens up about his feelings to Robin or you get that little clarinet theme that's going on in the background or George remembers swimming with Sam when he was a kid in the ocean. Uh, or George and Robin are dancing to Joni Mitchell. You know, that's that to me, I think, is what kind of makes it cathartic by the very end of it. But yes, there is uh, <laughs> the side quests, shall we say, of the film that are the bit <laughs> more awkward um yeah it wraps up very nicely and conveniently um and also the uh <laughs> yeah the weird sex stuff like i guess we could just go ahead and just knock that out right now like because <laughs> <laughs> i remember the same thing too where it's just like everybody watching this film has the same reaction to that line about when jenna balloon's character when Alyssa's like i thought we were just friends and it's like no you do immediately when you walked in that room what you were trying to do like don't even try to pull like pull a fast one the audience knows even Sam, who is very confused about a lot of things, clearly knows something is like not, not right with this. Like no girl acts like this, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, guys might like that to be the case, but no, this does not happen. It doesn't happen in real life. So much to Chris's point and reaction. Um, and I think consistently anybody I've ever watched this film with does the exact same reaction to that scene. Um, and then probably gets a little weirded out when like elicits like basically sexually assaults George when George is like high on morphine <laughs> later because she just wants to like experiment and kiss him because she'd seen how George kissed her mom and was like, oh, it looks like it was pretty fun. And... She was meat gazing at the beginning of the movie too, like out the window. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, well, just... oh. yeah. Uh, that whole thing felt so indulgent to like some horny old who wrote this mark andrus like i think mark andrus has got some some issues to sort it through man (laughs) like and like the the it baffles me for a lot of reasons but one of them is that and then you have the relationship between her mom and her boyfriend that mm-hmm. also just kind of comes out of nowhere and seems very odd. And it's like, is this why? Why is this here? Is this just so it feels less weird when Alyssa comes on to George? I don't know. It that's <laughs> what the film most feels like a porno to me. Is it's like, oh, this is <laughs> just a world where everybody just fucks everybody, and it's like no big deal. And like the circumstances are so afterthought. Like, yeah, you just like that's what happens in real life you just get in the shower with your friend and it's like oh i guess we gotta have sex now because we're in the shower together i don't know bro um sorry it I sounds mean, like i'm crapping on the movie i really liked it it's just that stuff like i, I could i was yeah. like what is happening well not if you you know wrap up as quickly as sam does then it's not there's not a whole lot going on in the shower he's frustrated he had a backlog <laughs> he had a backlog you know like... <laughs> oh man yeah so what was the most i i one of the questions that i had so this probably has already been answered then one of the <laughs> questions that i had was sort of like the 
uh of the good touch bad touch moments in this film it's <laughs> the most awkward one for you but i think we've pretty much covered all that unless there's anything we're forgetting because we've got we've got the bomb and the pimp we've got <laughs> Alyssa and sam and then we've got Alyssa and george so that's pretty much it and you you mentioned the nurse too like you're including her as like trying to come on to george a little bit there or at least like comforting slash caressing a little I think she uh, means it sincerely if he takes it yeah. like he gets aroused you know yeah oh uh i honestly the weirdly enough the male prostitution thing like because it struck me as like tragic was the least awkward like scene of all this where i was like (laughs) this a troubled kid like trying to make money like like this is the the least weird part about this like movie because like there's motivation right clear motivation and sort of like it connects with the character all the rest of it i'm just like what the fuck is going on um i don't know for me it's probably I think it's just Alyssa's character as a uh, as a whole. It's just like a really badly written. It's like oh, her whole point of existence is just to get horny around like <laughs> men of all ages. Like apparently, I'm like I just I don't know, man. I was like I, I didn't understand it. So basically, remake this film but change all of the side characters, with maybe the exception of the cop. So Scott Bakula, you're safe, but like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no i like all the family members like for sam yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i gotta say the moment when she comes in to kiss george because like even if like like her her reasoning is bullshit first of all but like <laughs> it doesn't even make sense in the context of like her being like uh like playing hard to get or being flirty like there's no way i can wrap my mind around what she says her intentions are coming in there and it's, it's shitty because I think she's like also 15 or 16 and, and he's on drugs. It's like neither person in this scenario should be here. <laughs> no. And he's incapacitated too, which like, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I was like, I, I was going to consider stopping the movie if like they had sex. Like I was going to be like, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't see myself feeling anything like past this, like, if, if, like something more than just this really awkward kiss happens. Like, um, so oh, yeah, that, that was yeah. that was a tough moment for me um <laughs> honorable second place is when george is trying to like step up as a father for the first time and his first instinct is just to like yell at his kid to like <laughs> stop being emo which he weirds which everyone reads as gay also which is like okay well that's interesting like cultural time capsule i guess but yeah oh 100 um, yeah <laughs> yeah step like makes a emo comment too. and maybe gay oh no <laughs> <laughs> i have to fix this <laughs> so that part was just awkward for me but um yeah, I found myself most relating to the like Hayden Christensen character. Like to me, he was the one that kind of like seemed to like be weirdly authentic, even though he's kind of a caricature. Soundtrack helps, man. Well, I was like, this is the soundtrack of my youth right here. Yeah. We got our limp biscuit, we got our radiohead, <laughs> got some guster, uh Marilyn Manson, bro. I was like wow um so i think that helped a lot and while i never went to the like extremes with like piercings and stuff like very much like loved having like my heavy metal t-shirts and like you know i dyed my hair like in high school and 
Um, so I, I second that May. Like I, I found him to be uh, so at times uncomfortably like close to like just the like kind of like rebellious. Like I certainly mm-hmm. was not into like uh, you know autoerotic asphyxiation and, and drug use like the way that he was. <laughs> like Potts as adventurous as I ever got. But I mean, you know, like oh, everything okay? Yeah, I just heard something fall somewhere in my apartment. It's fine. Oh. <laughs> it's Hayden Christensen's in, in your closet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> I was I was like very shocked that that was the opening because at first I wasn't clear what he was doing. I'm like, I was like, wait, are we opening with this kid hanging himself? Like, what the fuck is going on here? And then I was like, oh, no, he definitely does this regularly if it's, like, a thing <laughs> he has already set up in his closet. In closet, yeah. <laughs> I was shocked because I thought this movie was PG. Like, I did not look up the rating or anything. So nice. I always thought this was, like, a family film. So. Like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, this is at least PG-13. And then people started dropping F-bombs, and I was like, okay, it's, it's got to be R. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to derail that. <laughs> it's not derailed, man. In fact, on that lovely note, uh, I would like to segue over, since we're talking about that scene in Hayden Christensen, um, there's an Entertainment Weekly article that I found that was talking about this film. And this was like, oh man, this was actually back in 2001 when it got published. But the uh, it quoted Hayden as saying that he had wanted to read, or he wanted to play Sam's character after reading the first scene. Um about waking up getting high and putting a noose around his neck and masturbating because quote i thought that would be the perfect piece to say yep that's the kid who's playing anakin skywalker (laughs) yeah that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) i'm like ah nailed it (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah and you know what we talked a little bit before too about how much like historically Hayden Christensen got so much flack because of Star Wars and you know the argument about you know there is there's a fine line between if an actor is not good in the film and if the dialogue in the story is just crap and it's like you can only do what you can do with what you got and the direction that you're given sometimes and what the final product is edited to look like and I think the nice thing about Life as a House is that you could see him in a role that it makes more sense the way that he acts as the character in that role in this film um and makes me believe that he has that he has the capability to be a better actor than a lot of people would like to portray him as by just pigeonholing him in as Anakin Skywalker as the creepy Anakin Skywalker dude from you know uh the prequels from two and three so in some respects I I appreciate that because I know he was kind of big in Hollywood as like a bankable actor for like two or three films and then he just sort of like petered out and is finally now getting kind of his you know his his chance to come back and and um be anakin skywalker again in various he's forms actually in... cool and like yeah you know, like like fleshed out yes mm-hmm. yeah so whether we're talking and without spoiling anything since we're not talking about you know any of the any of the star wars shows in this but whether you're you know watching the more recent stuff that's come out with a minute then yeah for sure it's in the marketing um, i think anything that's the marketing is like fair game so like yeah they've been screaming it from the rooftops like you know yes he's playing anakin skywalker to what degree and like what happens i won't say it but like there's a very big difference i think like we'll just put it that way in like recent anakin skywalker portrayals versus like 
in the I feel like just even the first scene that I saw him in I'm like this is already like better than every scene combined like in terms of quality like from episodes two and three yeah Dave Filoni baby yeah oh yeah of course correct (laughs) so hopefully he does other stuff I'd like to see him in like more stuff outside of Star Wars you know like I hope he feels encouraged to like go do other things um I think he's got some some real good range in this like film and at first i was like oh i don't know like he's very whiny anakin sounding right now and then like yeah. he has an opportunity to do more things i think um yeah. which is it was nice, it was nice to see well i think i'm going to combine a couple of the questions that i've got which um is more so just because of the because the the prompt for this film was about you know it being like uh, have your tissues ready moment or a potential tearjerker, depending on how much you did or didn't get into the, into the um, acting <laughs> or distance by other things that may happen in the movie. But I was curious what you guys thought in terms of just George and Robin as characters, um, whether you, I mean, whether or not you like them as the character they were, um, what you thought of their relationship. Chris kind of already went into a little bit of that as well. Um, but just sort of your gen- your not general impressions, I should say, but um, just more specifics about what you thought watching the interactions that they had and kind of how it all comes to a, a, a close at the end. So I will uh, pass that over to you, May, for your thoughts first. So I didn't like George for a lot of the film. Um I think that's intentional initially, although I, as as scary as it would have been to be in his office when he has that explosion and like breaks all of his models, I was also like a little proud of him because I was like, <laughs> I think. Who wouldn't want to leave like that? The yeah. job you hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, And, but he just, he just goes from that to like every interaction with everyone he meets, he just is like a little bit insufferable and a little bit um like very quickly not meeting people on their level and um you see that a lot with sam and with his ex-wife and it's i i don't remember exactly how far through the movie is if it's actually halfway or if it's closer to the end but um when he actually like sits and listens to Sam and Sam is like hey I actually do want to stop like using these drugs like can you hide them from me better um how he's actually like not judgmental and um like having a fairly open dialogue with him for a minute I'm of course Sam puts his headphones on immediately so Sam doesn't really hear it but um I feel like that was the first moment I kind of like felt for George and um was like okay he's He's not just like trying to force himself on everyone in his family now that he knows secretly that from everyone else that he's dying. He is also trying to like take this as like, you know, uh, a Hail Mary opportunity for personal growth and <laughs> improvement as a, as a father and former husband. Um, so I appreciated the film kind of like in a way that wasn't heavy handed at all. It was actually kind of subtle, like showing some growth on George's part. Um, I didn't quite understand, I guess, Robin falling back in love with him to be a scene more of a, she felt neglected by her new husband and saw George stepping up a bit. And it was kind of easy for her to be like, well, 
this is marginally better than my current situation. (laughs) 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 Um, And so that, I don't know, it felt a little forced, her being suddenly like, oh, I'm falling back in love with him and all of that. But the one moment that felt very genuine and authentic is when they're kind of talking and finally acknowledging the fact that there is something between them still. And George says something to the effect of, you know, love is not enough. And that, that, that hits hard and heavy and um, yeah, is a lesson not usually communicated in, you know, rom drums or (laughs) rom-coms of this sort. But um, yeah, it was cool to see that like be kind of like the theme of their, relationship of you know the fact that they kind of failed each other and like still loved each other obviously and tried to be there in the ways they could but obviously it wasn't enough to make the marriage work my favorite quote in the movie with what he says to her yeah in fact i'm gonna read it to you guys just because (laughs) (laughs) do i still love you absolutely there is not a doubt in my mind Through all of my mind, my ego, I was always faithful in my love for you. That I made you doubt it, that is the great mistake of a life full of mistakes. The truth doesn't set us free, Robin. I can tell you that I love you as many times as you can stand to hear it, and all that does, the only thing is remind us that love is not enough, not even close. And yep, that is the scene that gets me the most every time I watch this movie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But anyway... So over to you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't actually have a lot to add. Like, I mean, this was my favorite like dynamic in the film for the most part. Um, it's weird because like I went most of the movie thinking that she had intuited that something was wrong health wise with him. And that's why she was like so omnipresent. And then like it came as like not really a surprise, but like, you know, just like a great I should say like a little bit of a surprise not like a great surprise like i was like oh okay she doesn't know like i kind of wondered the whole time that she like kind of figured it out and like is trying to not make him feel probably more awkward terrible than he always already does and just kind of be there and like not make him have to have that conversation um so yeah um just just great acting between the two of them like i said like at the top of the show i think it's just there's such an authenticity that felt refreshing um in cinema like just the way that that was talked about because i was primed for like oh this is going to be a bitter like you know sort of like i don't know like liar liar kind of thing where like they're throwing jabs at each other and barbs and like everyone's real bitter and nasty and I was glad that it wasn't that because like not every relationship ends like that or marriage ends like that. Sometimes things do just kind of peter out and like there's still an affection that will always be there for that person. And um, so, yeah, I, I my favorite part, certainly. I mean, I like the father son stuff. Don't get me wrong. Um, but um, I think that uh, was probably the, just the strongest bit of acting in the, the film, the scenes like featuring the two of them. The Journey Mitchell dance is great, too. Um, which I think you already talked about, but I would ask if there were any particular scenes that moved you, but I think we've also sort of, it's overlapped with some of the other stuff that we've talked about, unless there's anything else specifically that stood out to you scene wise, um, that you want to make sure that we cover. I mean, watching the home videos, right. And like, to kind of 
comment like i did cry my fucking eyes out at the end of this movie i'm not gonna pretend like i, I didn't like despite all like the weird sexual it did not stop me from being <laughs> very moved by um the film but yeah watching the home movies and just her kind of like describing and like you know he's what really wrecked me like dude where i mean like full-on ugly cried was like when the camera like the tolly tracks back back. In the bed and yeah. dude, oh my fucking god dude. yeah i'm getting like yeah. teary like just talking about it like i don't know what it is about that image yeah. of like just like that kind of slow reveal like you know that like all right, he's either going to be dead in the bed or like something else is like, and it's just like, no, it's just empty bed, which is like so much sadder. Yeah. But yeah, that, that really got me. Yeah. I think for me, it's the love is not enough scene. Uh, that was the, the, the heart for me of the movie. Um, although I, I'll, I'll give an honorable mention to oddly enough, the scene on the cliff when Sam first comes to stay with him, and he's like, oh, you're thinking of jumping and kind of makes that <laughs> joke and then just leaps off the plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know. It's the first time I've seen him actually care about what Sam is feeling and thinking. It's still a kind of a brash, like dismissive way, but at least kind of like an attempt to put himself in his son's shoes. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I was like, okay, we Sam have something to work with here, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, when he when he turns around and does it at the end, yeah, yeah, probably would have changed clothes after that before going to the hospital. But you know, yeah, Pacific Ocean <laughs> is not warm, dude, like at all. Yeah. Mm. You got to time it just right, too. Otherwise, it'll carry you all the way out to wherever it was. He said, "I can't remember." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, before we wrap up. Are there any other points, areas, touching moments, or ridiculous things that we want to make sure that we cover uh, before we transition over? So, uh, Chris, I'm going to leave this for you first. No, not really. Um, no, I, not that I can think of. Like, um, I think we pretty much covered all the aspects. Mentioned the soundtrack. That was the other thing I was going to mention. Is like yeah. just how of its time but also like great like well-rounded too like what i liked about it was it wasn't just like the pop punk that like you know was like really prominent like you had a lot of different genres and bands and usually good used to pretty good effect in the film but shout out to how quickly they got the house built honestly because like (laughs) most of the film was them tearing it down like very little of it was actually the reconstruction Oh, and again, shout out to OSHA violations. Again, thinking of contact with the uh, tumble Josh takes off the roof. Yeah. You think you got the same nurse? Give him a cheap thrill? Like, oh, oh you poor baby. <laughs> I'm expecting the touchy nurse to show up. <laughs> yeah, how old is that kid? Is he the same age as the as the other guys? Uh, yeah, because like that's how I was just like... And he's like a pimp, and I'm like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> it's unclear. So yeah. 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 I forgot all about Ian Summerholder, like as a person, like in real life, like because he had <laughs> a very short stint on Lost. Well, comparatively, anyway. Like he's not on the show for yeah. super long. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, that guy. I'll never happen to that guy. Well, the only two things I would like to add to this is that first, the house that was made for the film actually uh was purchased instead of getting like torn down from the set was actually moved 
to it was bought by a library i don't know what its condition is today but i found an la times article that mentioned back in 01 that it became part of the kenter canyon school which i thought was really cool uh and then also watching life as a house sort of like re-watching it now and the aspects of it that really get to me that hit hit that i guess emotionally packed the most punch for me remind me of other films where something similar happens so whether it's like the opening sequence and up or there's another there's a similar beach memory scene that takes place in a film called about time that has bill nighy in it that reminds me very much about the same sort of feeling that i get watching sam and or george thinking about when sam was a kid and you know what truthfully i think a little bit of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is floating around in here too so i think those are probably the movies that the same sort of whatever it is about those moments and whether it's tragedy or you know um nostalgia or i guess bittersweet memory i think that's what really stands out so but on those lovely notes <laughs> thank you for journeying with me and talking about our feelings with life as a house and i guess chris i'll pass it over to you man for uh what we got well actually i guess we have a game first right yeah i was gonna say don't don't uh don't pass know, it to you yet. Yeah, too prematurely hey actually i lied haha <laughs> no um so this is just going to be a short and fast game and it's not really a game for you know winning any points or anything um i would just like to ask both of you since we're talking about you know um something as deep as like finding out that you might have a terminal illness uh if you found out that you were only had so many months to live what would you do with the time that you've got would you is there something specific that you would want to do would you just go crazy would this would your story turn into a softcore porn like the movie we watched or like what what <laughs> what would you like to do in the time that you've got and it can be silly it doesn't have to be completely you know serious but um but yeah, I'm sorry, Chris, what'd you say? <laughs> I was gonna say only if the universe is just. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to the hospital to test this theory right now. No. <laughs> uh but yeah, so I'm not gonna pick anybody to go first. I'd say whoever decides they feel comfortable going first, uh go ahead and show us what you got. I would do a lot of writing for two nice. reasons. One I would write like pretty detailed letters to like most of the significant people in my life just as like a thing they could read if they were ever missing me which may be a bit self-important but for the people I think might miss me I would write letters <laughs> um, and then I would finish my novel <laughs> Because, like, what better way to be a debut author than being posthumously published, right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd travel with whatever time I had left. Oh, we were asking. <laughs> we were both we're asking, asking where, 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 where would travel? you go? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't made a good traveling bucket list. Uh, I, I would still have financial constraints. I guess it depends on what I'm, like diagnosed with fatally if there's like an adult make-a-wish or something i could use. <laughs> i don't know well, oftentimes like insurance like companies like will let you cash out 
right? So like they'll calculate how much it would be to like receive treatment and say, we'll pay for that. Or you can take like half of what it would cost us and just go have the time of your life for six months and like, oh, hell yeah. So I feel like if I knew there was no hope, like, and I'm just going to like prolong suffering, like I would probably take that option personally. Well, um, I would visit every continent and then some probably, I don't know. Um, I don't have a specific list of places. I'm not like up. I don't have like my angel falls or whatever, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Journey to the Canyon of the Crescent Moon to find the uh, the Holy Grail. Well, I I would also <laughs> assemble as many people as possible to assemble to like travel with me. I wouldn't want to travel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would take their suggestions also. <laughs> <laughs> Group decision. One, I just want one, to be in cool places with people I like. <laughs> one final quest, right, with the homies. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, last question I have before I do mine is like, would you tell people like, cause I feel like that's kind of an interesting question. Like this movie, like got me thinking about is like, who would I tell if I was going to tell somebody and like, would I be inclined to tell people? Cause you know, I, I've got some, some close friends who lost a parent and, um, did not tell anybody until it was like, like days from, like, I mean, it was like days and just like, was like that. And I know there were some complicated feelings about that. And it's like, I think to some extent, you know, you got to consider like your loved ones, but also like I kind of respect the choice of the individual as well in that situation, I guess. Like it's complicated, but. I would absolutely tell people, uh, mostly because a very close family member to mine did have a terminal diagnosis that I knew about. um, And it was such a unique and kind of sacred experience to grieve with her as her condition was declining. Um, And I can't imagine how much more awful and how robbed I would feel if I hadn't gotten that since I did get to have that experience. So I would tell people for sure. Yeah. Uh, I probably would also tell people because I can't imagine going through something like that alone. Like, you know, like some people are just like, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm like, I am terrified of dying. I need all the comfort I can can get i'll just be honest about it man (laughs) um so i think it would help to like have people and also like i got to imagine as we you know they kind of portray in this film like your your mood and behaviors are probably going to change drastically because of what you're facing down the barrel of and people understanding like what you're going through i think would be helpful like you're not just being a prick or like you know um unnecessarily depressed whatever uh, in terms of like what I would do, so if I had that option to cash out the life insurance, definitely um, I would travel and um, I would try to do something creative whilst traveling, probably in the form of like either like making a film or like writing something like I would want to leave something behind. Like it's funny, like you guys are going to laugh out cheesy the sounds, but um, a conversation that I recently had um, privately with um, Marianne, you know, just like couples randomly discussing heavy shit in the middle of the night. It was that like, I'm so proud of like this podcast because I feel like there's I've left something behind like in the world that like, you know, as long as YouTube doesn't go like belly up or something like, you know, or like are all podcast services that we're out on. Like, like there, I, I have something behind like and I feel proud of that. You know, even yeah. if it's not like this big, massive, like uh, Mark Marin level of like podcasting success, it's just 
feels cool to have made something. So I think I would probably want to like double down on that and do something more creative, like as part of that process, but also, you know, travel. So um, for sure, because that's like the thing I probably like love most in the world. So I can't imagine spending my last few months uh, like alive, like not doing that. But I like my suggestion of like, hey, take the people that are closest to you and be like, yo, like we're going to figure this out financially and like go have it like a good time. Nice. One big side quest. <laughs> One big yeah. Side quest, yeah. Absolutely. And I think just because it's my personality, I would have to design some sort of really antagonistic, elaborate prank, like with a really <laughs> stupid like reward. So some sort of like crazy Easter egg, like scavenger hunt, something like, you know, um, with like a really dumb like reward, like something from a gotcha machine that I got in Japan or something like <laughs> it's like the the grand prize um, just to hopefully make my friends roll their eyes and laugh one more time. Oh, here's a kinder egg for you for your effort. <laughs> it's <laughs> melted because it's been sitting <laughs> in, the, in the Congo jungle. For... <laughs> Solid. That's how about you will. I hope, thank you. I hope you're participating. So I want to hear your answer as well, man. Even yeah. You gave us the prompt. Oh, what? What? Oh, man. Yeah. I didn't realize it's I your turn. To... It's your turn, uh... buddy. <laughs> You're dying. What do you mm. do? What do you... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The option to cash out insurance I was not aware of. So that's definitely on the table, especially if it's like terminals. So if I know there's no chance, then yeah, that's that's going to take care of the finances right there. Traveling does sound like a lot of fun, but I think it is definitely like it's wanting to spend time with people that you care about, wanting to travel and see the places that you might have missed. I would love to go back to Europe and go to to Germany. I lived there for a while when I was in high school. It was actually the place I saw this film the first time. Um, and that would be a lot of fun to just go and, and see some of the places that I'd remembered and have some of the food that I miss that you can't get stateside. Um, but probably also like a handful of places over there too that I never got the chance to go see that I'd like to, whether we're talking, go back to England or go to, um, I'll just name off a few, like go to Italy, go to France. Um, you know what? I'll even put Australia on there, New Zealand. Chris, I know you've actually for New Zealand, right? So that's definitely on the list there too, man. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I wonder the thing that I wonder about, like, because this movie I could relate to for its grief, but also sort of like, I think with George, the fact that he is so unhappy with so many things that he's carried with himself for so long that he finally feels like he's free from that. He can admit I hated my job for, you know, 20 years or um, I was never really happy in this house or I actually don't like turkey sandwiches or whatever he throws out there. <laughs> Whereas like he's been holding on, he's been tolerating and holding on to all these things that he's hated in this weird sort of cycle for so long. I wonder if there would be things that I would finally just kind of sit back and think, you know what, that doesn't matter anymore. And I've held on to it for so long. So that I think would be interesting because I can't really speak to what, or if that would feel like anything, if I would feel like a sense of like relief or if I would also feel like a sense of dread because i'm with you chris man like uh, the idea of dying it's like on the one hand you're like oh i accept that this is going to happen one day 
But I'm also really terrified about, <laughs> you know, what that would be like. And like the existential crisis of thinking about like what it would be like to be, you know, like if there's nothing after, you're just like, what would that be like to be nothing? And it's like, you wouldn't be anything. So it wouldn't matter. And I'm just like, Whoa. you know, the crap you think about it, like 12 o'clock at night when you're trying to go to sleep. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that would probably be, I would be interested to see how I would feel with the news. That's and, you know, maybe, maybe try and, hit on a nurse or two you know on the way out the door but... <laughs> <laughs> just to you know just to see see if i still got it you know just kidding you're making a really beautiful point but now i won't <laughs> <laughs> rachel if you're listening i'm sorry <laughs> Like, like i feel like if you're dying you know like if a little bit of flirting it's like whoa, whatever like, is that, it's like a mulligan is that no i kid <laughs> no, but uh yeah that's probably where i'd be at i feel like there's got to be a better answer if i had prepared more i might um have a little bit more with it but i, I think there's sort of like a consensus right like we all We'd want to spend time with the people we care about. We'd want to have a. We would want to make the most of the time that we've got, and we want to see things or do things that either give us joy or that we have an experience that we had put off. So, yeah, it's the classic like bucket list thing, kind of, which mm -hmm. um, still blows my mind that that wasn't a term before the movie. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's that Mandela effect of like, yeah, that's been around forever. Surely, like, nope, has not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. I, uh, yeah. I do think like spending time with people important to me is like number one, though. Like, I don't know if you guys have watched The Good Place, but the no. I, I loved how that ended with people kind of the consensus being that, like, oh, yeah, heaven is just like all the time you wish you'd had on earth, basically, with the people that matter. Mm. That's yeah. a tearjerker. <laughs> yeah. So it's like he heaven or other people, just like hell or other people. It's like the, yeah. the nicer Sartre <laughs> kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I think both are true, right? Like, yeah. um, depending on the company you keep, it could be paradise or, or hell. <laughs> so choose wisely. <laughs> That's the lesson that we've learned choose from this movie. Wisely. Yeah, wisely. And also, you know, the Last Crusade is also a lesson in that one. Yeah. <laughs> yep. If right. you choose the wrong person, then you'll shrivel up into like a little skeleton man. <laughs> yep. Suck your life force out. <laughs> I mean, that's death right there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate your uh your feedback and also your uh your willingness to play the 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 well. I don't know. I don't know if that was really a game or more just a nice little exercise together, but I appreciate that. So that's a nice all experiment got. appropriate to the movie. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose that brings us to the end of the episode. We don't have any cards to draw because we're bringing back our holiday special for 2023. So beginning next week, we will be uh, recording and releasing episodes that are holiday themed. The next film that we will be watching is the delayed by one year Christmas Prince, which can be found, I believe, on Netflix. And I'm very yeah. excited to finally experience this film and talk about um, why it works as a holiday movie. 
Now, as always, I'm going to give May the opportunity, if you want, to talk about <laughs> why you have chosen this film for a holiday film and take it away. Have you ever watched a Hallmark movie? I've and... seen bits and bobs. Oh, oh sorry. And said, you know what? I wish this just dialed up your suspense of disbelief to 11 and also had half the production budget. <laughs> that half is- of a Hallmark? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. You know, my folks were watching some Hallmark movies when we came up to visit for Thanksgiving and I popped in and I was like, this is what is it about this that like it it's familiar, but also like I can't place it. And Marianne was like, it's lit like a soap opera and the camera is positioned like a soap opera. So half of that. OK, now I'm really excited. um so yes feel free to roast it it's kind of like i love it because it's so terrible kind of movie um and so tropey but like i don't know to me fairly self-aware like the the lead actress really like nails the the like protagonist that definitely knows they're a protagonist kind of person (laughs) yes um yeah i'm excited to see what your reactions are that is all all i will say (laughs) can't wait it is a very much delayed film and of course as we normally do we'll announce the the next film at the end of next week's episode so you'll know in a week um what to expect next but they're all going to be holiday themed films and then of course uh following the uh week of christmas we will have no more new episodes um more on that you know later i mean we will have them but just not for a while so we'll take nope, a... we're canceled uh we're canceling <laughs> ourselves before anyone else can in a power move <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, we'll have a bit of a hiatus so we'll, we'll we'll discuss that more um once we air our final episode of the year but uh, believe me it'll be all about making the show better um so Thanks for sticking with us for yet another week of ScreenQuest. You can find us at ScreenQuestPod on X and later some other social media platforms. More on that to come. But until next week, we love you. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.